Let's get to our message today. It's our third and last part of this Captivated by Christ uh, little section of Colossians here. And um, yeah, let's get the long passage. So let's uh, get to that together. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Um, the Word of God reads, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the series that you're bringing us to, this book of Colossians, and especially this, this section where we're talking about false teaching. Father, we pray that you'll open up our hearts and our eyes to see how the evil one works and how he wishes to deceive us so powerfully with all these empty, hollow philosophies, always trying to steal the believers to become his once again. So God, we pray that you give us wisdom, you give us insight, and we pray, God, that you give us all that we need, not only to recognize the schemes of the evil one, but Father, to realize every day, what all we need is you, all we need is Christ, all we need is the worship of Christ and the Lordship of Christ, and so help all of our faith to be centered upon him alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when I first became a Christian, I really wanted to grow. Like, I, I desperately wanted to grow. And I was hungry, like, for anything and everything that would help me grow. When I was saved back in 1990, <laughs> when I was saved back in 1990, there was this huge church movement that was, like, really gaining a lot of popularity in America, where I'm from. I'm from Chicago. And, you know, it was really amazing because God was doing some amazing things through this whole church network. You know, they, like the worship of God was like intense and passionate. Uh, you were seeing like a lot of miracles happen, a lot of supernatural happen. And it was actually so exciting to see. But it made me like question a few things in my heart. You know, I, when I first saw that as a new Christian, I was like, oh, is that what all Christians are supposed to experience? And I saw that and I was like, oh, and I didn't know and then I was like, oh, because if that is, then how come our church doesn't look like that? And how come the church that I go to is not engaged in some of those religious practices like those guys are doing over there? And in my lifetime, you know, I've seen a lot of, maybe you guys have too, you know, I've seen a lot of high profile churches, you know, practicing and engaging in certain spiritual practices that are very, very attractive and pretty cool. And like God's doing some pretty cool stuff through those things. And I and I always wondered, am I supposed to be doing those things too? Do I need those things that are happening over there to grow in Christ? Have you guys ever questioned like that? You know, looked at other churches and you're like, oh, am I supposed to be like that? I've also read books 
by certain pastors, certain evangelists, you know, uh, talking about special revelations they received, special visions that they received within their lives and how we should be following it. And the thing is, they promise things like prosperity, but they also promise things like holiness and intimacy with Christ and power, but only if you follow those visions and prophecies. And so, you know, when I, when I read those things, the question that I always have is, am I supposed to be following this? You know, am I supposed to be following this particular, is this really God given? And if I, is that right? Is that wrong? And even if it's wrong, I mean, I want God. That's, that's my motive. Even if those things are wrong, doesn't God know that I just want him? And so even if I follow it, that, doesn't he honor that? Do you guys ever, ever ask questions like that? You're not sure about visions or other people's insights and, you know. Have you guys ever read any of those books? Ask those questions. One last one. Um, I've seen certain spiritual leaders uh, who are very, like, strong and very powerful um, practice their faith and lead their ministries in very uh, controlling and dogmatic ways. And you can tell that they, they lead that way. You probably can't tell on a Sunday, but you could tell that these leaders and these pastors and these spiritual leaders lead their churches in that way because when you just encounter the people within their churches, they all like start talking exactly the same way. They all start like acting exactly the same way. And it's obvious that they're all following like these unwritten set of rules that the church kind of abides by, especially the leaders. They're all like kind of fearful yet excited at the same time. And, and for me, when I look at stuff like that, I'm just, I'm like really critical. I'm like, oh man, that's so unhealthy. But then all of a sudden, when you look at the people in those churches, you're like, but they're so committed and they're so passionate. And you look at them, it's like, man, I think those guys are bearing a lot of fruit or at least what looks like fruit. And so that makes me question because I'm very insecure as a Christian and as a leader sometimes and as a church person. And I'm like, you know, should I be, am I like pushing back against what I'm seeing here? Because, you know, is that just my sinfulness rebelling against like authoritarian figures like that? Is that just my like abusive Asian history? You know, like just pushing back on people with authority, just like, you know, wielding their power. You know, should churches kind of look like that? Shouldn't Christianity be a little bit hardcore like that? And especially as a spiritual leader, I'm like, do you think, should I be more like that? Should I be like, you know, telling people what to do? And, I don't know. You know, you guys ever, you guys ever ask questions like this? You look at other churches, other things, you know, and you look at what other people are doing and you're just like, like that. these are the kinds of issues that are at the heart of what's happening in the Church of Colossae 2,000 years ago. All the examples that I just gave, some of them are very false and some of them are, are bad. But other examples are, are okay, you know? And, but um, I, want, I share all these examples to give you an idea of what was happening in the Church of Colossae 2,000 years ago. There were false teachers in the Church of Colossae 2,000 years ago that professed that Jesus is the only way to be saved. That's something that no one had an issue with. Yes, Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. They're, they're actually saying that. But then they also went on to say, but you, if you want to grow, and if you want to know God better, then you need to practice your faith in like these dogmatic ways. You need to like follow other people's vision in order for you to become more holy and get closer 
to God, right? You need to experience more. But in our passage today, and we'll just jump to the conclusions, you know, in our passage today, Paul is not only saying that you don't need those things, but those things are actually, can actually be evil, right? What? Are you serious? I mean, that's a pretty harsh word, evil, but it's true. Anyone who tells you that you need anything more than Jesus is wrong, okay? That's black and white. Anyone who tells you you need anything more than Jesus is wrong. Any teaching that does not have Christ at the center of it is filled with error. Okay? That's it. Black and white. And the reason why is because we've been learning these past few weeks that the fullness of God, the fullness of the deity is in Christ. And what did we learn last week? We have all that fullness now if we are in Christ. We have everything that we need to know Christ and to know God. We don't need more experiences or all their mystical things, or and we'll go over that today. But that is the black and white answer. Is that cool? Okay, if you forget the rest of the sermon, it's okay. As long as you know that all you need is Jesus Christ. You know, what's great about the church, and what's, especially what's great about our church, is that people want Jesus. You want Jesus, right? Yes, yes, please not. It make me feel good. <laughs> no, but we do, and I know you do. You wouldn't rock up to a, oh my goodness, 1.30 Sunday service? Who goes to a 1.30 Sunday service? No one, unless you want Jesus. Oh, unless you're forced to come here by some other pastors and stuff. Sorry if you are. But anyway, but the who we want Jesus, and it's great. We want to know him personally. We want to grow in him. We want to experience him in deeper ways. We want to be intimate with Christ. We want to operate in his power, in his peace, in his joy, right? We all do. We want to honor and glorify Christ with our lives. We want Jesus, and all that's awesome and good. But the tough part, however, is in our desire to seek after Christ, Instead of trusting in what God says in Scripture, and instead of seeking after Christ alone, these very attractive alternate forms of spirituality some, somehow, some way, pop up on our radar, don't they? And then, uh, and they take the form of the mystical, they take the form of the theological. And they take the form of the ascetic. Do you guys know what the word ascetic means? A-S-C-E-T-I-C? It's, uh, I wrote it here because it's a, it's a big definition. You know, it, it's basically, it's practicing like radical self-denial, severe self-discipline. Sometimes people even punish themselves physically to become more holy. Okay, ascetic. You guys get the picture, okay? And these things pop up on our radars and there's something attractive, to those things. Maybe some of us have even dipped our toes in some of those mystical things or theological things or ascetic things. Maybe we've seen our friends kind of taste those things or get become a part of it. But the result is usually, and we've seen all these mixed results, you know, some people ended up kind of okay. Some people were like, whoa, some people like just, you know, came back or, you know, all these different results. But all those types of alternate forms of spirituality usually result in some common things. And here they are. They usually result in people becoming alienated from Christ, which I'll explain in a few moments. Um, and then they usually end up with people becoming arrogant or judgmental, a lot of times towards their home churches. You know, they become judgmental towards their home churches or other churches around them. And lastly, because they become judgmental and arrogant, they cause division within their church. 
And that's a lot of times what happens. And so here's my question. My, my question is if those alternate forms of spirituality are supposed to bring us towards Christ and actually bring us closer to Jesus, then wouldn't they draw people closer to Christ instead of alienating people from Christ? Wouldn't Christ become much greater in their lives rather than these alternate forms? You know, um, wouldn't participating in all these alternate forms of spirituality actually make us all excited about Jesus rather than get us G'd up and excited about those forms, our spirituality, promoting the forms rather than Christ himself? Wouldn't they cause us, if they, if they really promised more of Christ, wouldn't they, pro, wouldn't they cause us to be more gracious and more loving towards people who are not as close to God rather than becoming judgmental towards people who weren't as close to God? And wouldn't they encourage unity within the church if they were really of Christ, rather than giving us this like feeling that I should cause this unity, which a lot of times happens, and I think they would. But just like we've been talking about these past few weeks, these alternate teachings, they have a very powerful attraction to them. You know, and a lot of Christians seem to get sucked into them. And, you know, I've seen great Christians who are actually in love with Jesus fall in love with mystical practices and fall away from Christ and fall into the mystical practices. I've seen people who love Jesus fall in love with theology and fall away from Christ so that they would love theology. I've seen Christians who are in love with Jesus Christ fall into love with strict religious practices and Christian religiosity, if I can say it that way, rather than Jesus Christ. And while they think they're getting closer to Jesus because they're becoming, quote-unquote, more spiritual, in reality, our passage tells us today that they're actually becoming more worldly. They're getting closer to the world, and they're dragging others and the church down with them. It's huge. It's a very dangerous path to go on. So we got to be careful. And the biggest reason why we need to be careful is because all of these alternate teachings have the power to steal our fullness. The reason why Paul is giving us these warnings is because all of these alternate teachings have the power to steal our fullness away and to destroy the church. So the ramifications of entertaining any of these things is huge. It's absolutely destructive, and that's why we Christians have to know how the evil one operates. We have to be able to identify these false teachers and these false teachings, and we need to be able to not only guard ourselves, but guard the church from engaging in any of these things. And so that's the heart of our message today. In our passage today, Paul gives us two warnings. I'm going to briefly talk about the warnings, and then I'll explain why they're false and dangerous, and then I'm going to end with some application points. Here are the two warnings. The first one comes in verse 16. It says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. The word judge here in verse 16 means to judge your spirituality, to judge your salvation, to judge your faith, to judge your devotion. So the false teachers in Colossae were judging whether these believers were saved or not based on what they ate or didn't eat. They were also judging whether these believers were legit based on whether they participated in these Jewish festivals and celebrations or not. But the reason why these are wrong is actually written in verse 17. Verse 17 says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come, right? The reality, however, is found in Christ. What's he saying? He's saying that what we eat 
And these special festivals or days are just shadows. What does that mean? Shadows, right? Well, people back then believed that eating or refraining from certain foods actually made you more spiritual. But that's just not true, okay? Just because you drink alcohol doesn't make you less of a Christian than other Christians. Amen? (laughs) And just because you fast from certain foods doesn't make you more spiritual than other Christians. Amen? I like drinking alcohol, and I don't like fasting. That's why I say that's why I say it like this. You know, food and drink does not have any spiritual power. Okay, and I'll explain it more in a second, but they're just shadows. Does it mean all fasting is wrong? No, of course not all fasting is wrong. We're commanded to fast. Even Christ expects us to fast. But fasting, proper fasting is only proper when it's done to seek after Christ. Okay, all other fasting, I think, is spiritually useless. You know, they're just you just being full of yourself, saying that you're thinking that you're doing something good for God. But unless you're fasting to seek after Christ, it's, I think it's spiritually useless. So, you know, but then, Eddie, if that's true, are you saying that we can drink or eat anything that we want, even pork? Because <laughs> the Jewish people couldn't eat pork. And the answer is yes. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But, you know, whether we eat or drink or no matter what we do, we do it for the glory of God. Eating and drinking have no spiritual power. Okay, what you eat or drink. Food has no spiritual power. What about religious events and religious days, the things that they're talking about? Eddie, aren't those things in the Old Testament, weren't they commanded? Weren't they told, you know, people were supposed to observe those things? And yes, they were told to observe those things. But did you know that every festival and every day that's ta- in the Old Testament, they were all designed and, and they were commanded and created to point people to the perfect sacrifice that takes care of sins. You know, all these festivals and all these things, you had to sacrifice animals. It's all based upon sacrificing animals at the temple. And all those things were to point people to the perfect sacrifice, which we have in Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus fulfilled all of those festivals and days. You notice how in the text it says, um, oh, no, 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 verse 17, it says, They are a shadow of things that were to come. Those are things that were to point people towards Christ. But since Christ is already here, he's the what? The reality of those things. And that's exactly what those things mean. Therefore, festivals and days are no longer required to be observed. Food and festivals are shadows because they were given to us to help us find Jesus. But now that we actually have the real thing, why would we waste our time with the shadows? That's the argument. You guys get that? We have the real thing in Jesus Christ. Now that we have the fullness of Christ within us, therefore, how ridiculous is it that people are now saying and judging us, whether we're a believer or not, believer or not, based on whether we entertain shadows or not? That's absolutely ridiculous. Christ is the real thing, and we have him. We'll go into that a little bit more later. But And secondly, very quickly, Who are are human beings to judge whether you have salvation or not? That's something for God to do. Only God can judge us whether we have salvation or not. Okay? Um, Three quick lessons, which I'll repeat at the end. Number one, don't judge or look down on other believers based upon whether they fast or they don't. You know, or whether they smoke or drink or those types of things. Okay? What we consume or what we refrain from has nothing to do with holiness. You guys, is that cool? Right? Is that cool? Am I going against 
40 years of a culture, you know, I'm, I'm afraid. If I get fired, you'll know why. Uh, don't ever let any, number two, don't ever let anyone impose a program of spiritual development that doesn't have Jesus Christ at the, as the goal and at the center, right? So no matter how religious it sounds, no matter how great it looks, um, we only need Christ. Lastly, invest yourself in Christ and the church. Where do we get the church? Verse 17. If you look at verse 17, the end of it says, the reality, however, is found in Christ. That word reality actually has a dual meaning. The word reality can be translated as real or true, but it also, believe it or not, can be translated as a body, the body. So what any Greek person reading this in the original language would have, would have read, would have known that the reality of Christ is found in Christ truly or really, but also in his body, which is the church. So it's telling us, invest yourself in Christ and in the church. And all these play a huge role in the second warning, which is found in verse 18. It says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up by the idle notions, by their unspiritual Mind. So the warning is this, do not let anyone disqualify you. And disqualify is a reference to like a sporting umpire disqualifying somebody from, you know, from no longer, disqualifying somebody from participating. So you are now disqualified from salvation. This is what was happening. People were judging whether you were saved or not, or whether your faith was legit or not. But what Paul goes into in these verses is now the thrust of these verses are, he's talking about the character of the false teacher. And there's three things that he says about the character of this false teacher. There's three things that make him false. Number one, this person delights in false humility. And believe it or not, there are two meanings to this. You could take the straight up NIV meaning, which is he delights in false humility. But just read this, just listen to that one. Who delights in false humility? Who would delight in being fake humble, right? That's just messed up. So it's probably that, it could be that, and you can take it as that. But the most theologians believe in the second translation of false humility, which is this. It's, uh, it describe, it's describing people who subscribe to an ascetic lifestyle, A-S-C-E-T-I-C. Okay, well, we talked about that before. People who believe in the rigid practice of self-discipline by refraining themselves from indulgence and even engaging in self-abusive techniques that make them more spiritual. They delight in this, you know? They delight in like refraining. They delight in like fasting. They delight in like punishing themselves to thinking that they're gonna become more holy than that. So what's the criticism? They delight in that so much, meaning they love the practices more than Christ himself. Number two, these people also worship angels. And what that simply means is that a lot of people like to engage in spiritual beings. Like they, they start interacting and, and, and like uh, interacting with angels, interacting with spiritual beings. And they thought that the more they could do that, the more spiritual they become. But what they ended up happening was they started loving it so much that they started worshiping the angels and the spiritual beings, which means that their attention was off Christ. And that's what he's talking about here right? Are angels real? Yes. Are they good? Yes, they're great. But not if they become the, the object of our worship, which was happening with these guys. Um, we are not supposed to worship them. Thirdly, they also had visions and they talk about them in great detail. We'll talk about visions in a second. But their desire, but, but the key phrase here is they talk about it in great detail, which means 
that their desire was to gather a following using the mystical as their bait. You guys get that? That was their true motive. Right? But what's the conclusion? Look at, look at verse 18, the end of verse 18. It says, God says that all of these false teachers are what? Unspiritual. Right? It's huge. They're unspiritual. This person, even though he's involved in mystical experiences and experiencing all these cool and mystical things, you know, they're like worshiping angels, interacting with angels. Even though this guy powerfully like portrays this like uber spiritual lifestyle because he's doing all these things to himself and he looks so spiritual. He's refraining from this, refraining from that, punishing himself for this, you know, all that kind of stuff, trying to be all holy and stuff. And even though this person has visions that speak of this, that speak of that, oh my God, that's the insight into this, insight into that. The conclusion is not only are they arrogant, which is what this verse says, puffed up with themselves but they are unspiritual. Now that kind of goes against logic to us, doesn't it? I mean, if we encountered a guy that, you know, could talk to angels and had visions of this and that and insight that they thought, they thought this was insight into God and the spiritual, you know, we would think, oh man, maybe that's something I should pay attention to. Maybe that's something I should learn from. And that's what we would, I think how we would naturally react because we want Jesus. And that seems very spiritual. But here God clearly says that these guys are full of themselves and absolutely unspiritual. And he gives a much clearer explanation in the next verse, in verse 19. This is why. It's because they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Here, Paul's saying that the reason why these guys are arrogant, the reason why these guys are unspiritual is because they have lost connection with the head. Who's the head? Jesus Christ. They are no longer about Jesus anymore. Go Jesus has, is not the goal, right? Jesus is not the center of what they're all about. And what they're saying is, what Paul's saying is, they have literally lost connection with Jesus Christ. And then when Paul talks about this whole body, what he's saying is that the only way that you can grow and the only way the church grows together as a body is when Christ is the center, right? The only way that God grows us in Christ and grows the church is through Christ alone, the head, right? So anyone who prescribes a spirituality that doesn't have Jesus at the center is unspiritual. And therefore, do not follow him. You know, all this stuff still happens in 2021. Don't follow people that don't have Christ at the center. Do you guys understand this? Christ has all the insight we need. Okay, this is it. This is the point. Christ has all the insight we need. If you want insight into God, seek after Christ. Christ has all the spirituality we need. I need more spiritual. I need more experience. Then seek after Christ and get it with him, not with anything else. You have everything. You have that pathway. Christ died for that pathway and that reconciliation to happen. So seek after Christ. If you want more intimacy with Christ, then get, you'll, you'll get it if you seek after him. Right? We have the fullness of God and therefore we have all the fullness we need in him alone. And anyone who leads you away from that, anyone who tries to lead you away from Christ and those things, and even if they have the appearance of spirituality, even if they have the, uh, the appearance of the divine, if they don't have Christ at the heart of it, that person is arrogant and unspiritual. Do you guys get this? Yes? Yes? Just in case you're not convinced, Paul gives us four more verses. Okay? 
20 to 23, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why? As though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh mistreatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Here, Paul gives us three reasons why these teachings are unspiritual. Here we go. Verse 22. Here's the first reason why they're unspiritual. They're all destined to perish, right? When you die, they'll die, okay? When mankind's gone, they'll be gone too. They're not eternal. These experiences and teachings sound like it's going to get you closer to Jesus. It won't, right? They sound like you're going to get more spiritual if you engage in them. You're not. They sound like it's going to benefit you and your eternity, it's all a lie. It won't, right? Foods, festivals, non-Christ worship, and visions are all earthly. Therefore, they are destined to perish. Okay, do you guys understand that? One note about visions, okay? Um, you know, I believe God can speak to us. I totally believe God speaks to us, and he loves speaking to us. Right? Some people, Christians, call we, sometimes we call these things visions. Sometimes we call these things dreams. Sometimes we call them, oh, God's voice. or The vocabulary is all different. But we all get it. You know, I believe God speaks to us. I, love, I believe God loves leading us, and I love that. Um, and that's good. But what you have to understand is that our ability to hear God and to receive what God wants to tell us will always be tainted. will always be tainted with sin. The Garden of Eden proves that. Adam and Eve were sinless, yet they were deceived by a snake. You know what I'm saying? Which means even perfectly, even like sinless people can be deceived by the evil one. So what about sinful people like us? We'll probably even be more deceived. We have that kind of potential within us. And so that's all I'm saying. So anytime you do receive a vision or you do receive like, I think God's speaking to me about A, B, or C, the right thing to do is what? is to talk to your spiritual leaders, to talk to your church, and to see if it aligns with Scripture. Scripture is the only thing that is perfect and true. So if you have a vision, or if you have, you feel like God's leading you towards something, but it doesn't align with anything in Scripture, you know what I do? I throw it out. I just said, I think that's the evil one trying to misdirect me. That's what I do. You know, No matter how, much it, how great it feels, no matter what I, I'm inspired, whatever, if it's something that doesn't align with God or, or Christ or what Scripture says at all, I just feel like this is, this is some way twisted. So I'm just going to toss it out. That's me. Because I don't want to follow anything that's not. Because just, I'm just very honest with myself. I know I'm sinful. I know I'm going to hear wrong. I like to hear things that make me happy. But sometimes in my desire to make myself happy, I get led the wrong way. So... Scripture is the standard for me, and I want that to be for you as well. So, you know, I love that God speaks to us. God leads us, and that's awesome. You know, and I, I always want to encourage my people to constantly open their hearts to hear from God because I believe God loves speaking to us. But we need to be careful about those things, you know, and especially with visions that, you know, when, when someone gets a vision that's absolutely unique, that, has, that is like their own unique interpretation of Scripture, and they believe they have this one, like they, they, they have this monopoly on this particular insight into God, and then they write a book about it and tell you to follow it. I'm like, oh, dude, I don't think so. You know? Unless your name's Noah and a flood's coming, you know, or something like that. I, you know, I don't know. But 
Don't be too big on people having visions. They may not be of God. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, and if the person's telling you, if the people with visions actually tell you all this stuff and, you know, listen to it if you want. But if it's not telling you to go after Jesus yourself, just stay away. That's my advice. Okay. There we go. Number two, so, you know, all this stuff is earthly. They're not eternal. Number two, they are all human commands and teaching. Verse 22, that's exactly what it says. And so let me explain what this is all about. Um, so after Christ, we already, we already said that, you know, all those things are a shadow. And so all those things point to Christ. And now that we have Christ, all those foods, all those festivals, all those things are no longer, no longer need to be practiced. But people who still hold on to those things are obviously men who are just trying to hold on to religion. You know, and that's what it, that's what it is. They are dead spiritually because they don't see Christ anymore. They've lost connection to the head. If they saw Christ and the fulfillment of all those things in Christ, they'd be the first one to tell you you don't need to eat or fast or do all those things from all those things or participate in those particular festivals. Right? All those things um, are man-driven if they command us and they teach us. Secondly, what about mystic experiences? Mystic experiences are all based on human pretense and imagination. Okay, this is kind of a tough one. I read this from, from a theologian, and all these other theologians kind of say similar things. Mystic experiences are all based on human pretense and imagination. People create ideas as to what they think is spiritual, and they imagine what might get them closer to God, and then they start teaching other people to do this. But it's all a lie. And so if I can just talk about mystic, mystic experiences for a second, I think there's something really attractive about mystic experiences. People experience mystical things. I think it's, it's cool. It's attractive. You know, and we're like, we, we're, we want to inquire about those things. But once again, um, I'll talk about experiences in a second. But those mystical things, quite honestly, if they have nothing to do with Jesus Christ, I believe they're just workings of the evil one that are causing us to distract us from seeking after Christ, which is all the evil one wants us to do. Seeking after the experiences, seeking after the supernatural, seeking after those things, rather than seeking after Christ. You know, um, we're not. Pre I'm not preaching against spiritual experiences. I encourage everyone to have true ex spiritual experiences with Christ. I want you to seek after intimacy, powerful experiences with Jesus, you and Him. I want all of us to have that, and I believe God wants us to have those things too. And those are good. But what we're talking about here in these particular passages is people preaching that you have to have this particular experience or that particular experience or you're not a Christian or you're not legit. Your faith is not legit. Look at what it says in verse 20. It says, which says that Christ in Christ, you died to the, all the elemental spirits of the world, which means that you don't need those mystical experiences anymore because you have Christ, you have him. And if those mystical experiences are human teachings, which is what this verse is saying, then they will never get you closer to Jesus Christ, right? No matter how spiritual they might look. I'm 49 years old. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've been through a lot of mystical experiences. I've Dabbled, dubbed and dabbled and all those things too. And my conclusion is this for me personally. I think mystical experiences, I don't know if they draw me closer to Jesus, but they do make me feel better about myself. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
when you experience something pretty mystical, you're like, damn, that was like, damn. But it doesn't make me seek after God more, but it just makes me seek after experiences more. And then I wonder if that's just a distraction rather than really making me holy, making me hungry for God, you know? Lastly, oh, it says there's no spiritual value in them. Lastly, same goes for ascetic practices. You can, you know, you can self-discipline and abstain all that you want, but doesn't get you closer to God. It does not. It makes you only feel better about yourself. And here's what's wicked and ironic about as people who practice asceticism in their lives. What was supposed to free you from the power of the flesh, which is why they do it, actually causes you to indulge in it even more. Any personal attempts to become holy only makes us full of ourselves and more attached to the worldly. When I got saved, I was saved through a very strong dogmatic church, right? There were a lot of like huge rules. And basically the number one thing that they preached was repentance. And we would just spend all of our time repenting. There'd be Sunday times of repentance, Friday night prayer, repentance, all this stuff, repentance. Everything was about repentance. Leaders meetings, half of it was about repentance. Everything was about repentance. The thing is, repentance done right leads us to Christ, leads us to our forgiveness, leads us to his grace, leads us to becoming thankful for him being in our lives. You know, repentance is beautiful and awesome. But the way we were taught repentance, I was basically spending like an hour or two every single time just recounting how bad I was and making myself feel bad about how bad I really am. And I would leave every church meeting feeling bad about myself. I was convinced that that was good. And worship, therefore, wasn't a celebration of how awesome God was, but it was just the realization of how unworthy I was to be in his presence. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Hopefully not. This is an abusive, you know, spirituality I was born into. And, and that's the whole thing. Um, I thought that was actually good because I thought about holiness all the time. But the, in reality, I only thought about myself all the time, how bad I was, how unworthy I am, rather than how amazing Christ is and how great Christ is and how great grace is and operating in that grace, that love, that forgiveness, that freedom, which Christ died for. You know, asceticism and ascetic practices, it's all a sham, man. Don't ever get fooled into that kind of crap. It's crap, right? But here's the biggest sham of all, verse 23. Here's the third point. They lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence, which means they never, they can never solve the problem of every human being, which is our sinfulness. But Christ does. God says that our flesh was cut off in Christ. We talked about that last week. Our sinful nature died with Christ. Therefore, Christ is the only hope that we have for true holiness and true freedom. Christ is the only source of true spiritual power, of true spiritual growth. And it is only in Christ that we now have the power to overcome our sins and to grow to be holy like him because he is the head. So let me end with this final argument here, which, he, which Paul makes in verse 20, 21. And this is what he's saying. If... We have everything in Christ. I just spent all these verses and all this time explaining to you what we have in Jesus Christ. If we have the total fullness of spirituality and God in Jesus Christ, why would we ever turn to shadows, arrogance, worldliness, mysticism, fake spirituality to try to know God? Why would we even try to grow through those shadows and shams when we have all the fullness in Christ himself. Therefore, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. 
right? God says we have all the fullness in Christ. We have it. So be careful not to let anyone take that away from you, right? Please. And But the scary part of this passage is Paul saying that we can. People have the power. The evil one has the power to take those things away from us if we submit to those teachings. So please, people, people of God, do not handle, taste, or touch any of those things. Cool? 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 Okay. Let me just end with three practical applications very quickly, and we'll end. Number one, don't be fooled by people who have visions or who are spiritually gifted or who are supernaturally mystical or by people who say that you have to engage in certain religious practices to be more holy or like God. They are worldly, arrogant, and unspiritual. We have everything in Christ. So guard your fullness. Good? Number two, guard the unity of the church. Guard it by guarding the church from false teachings. Please stop judging other people and start building other people, encouraging other people, pointing people to Jesus. Good? Lastly, Seek after Christ alone. If you want to be more spiritual, if you want to experience more of God himself, you have everything in Christ. Seek after Christ. Demand it from him. Go to him personally. Read your Bible. Demand it. Talk to Christ. Okay? He has everything. And he is everything. So, the answer is always to be captivated by Christ alone. That's not just the title, but that's our goal. And that'll guard us, that'll guard the church, and that'll help us grow like crazy to be everything and to experience everything that we were meant to as his children. So let's do that. We have the fullness of God in Christ. Let's spend our days on earth being thankful for his lordship and enjoying our fullness in Christ alone. Don't let anyone steal that from you and from our church. Amen? Let's pray. Can I just say this? No matter what happened in the past, maybe my message today made you think of like things that you did or things that you tasted or things that you, all that kind of stuff, the way you thought in the past. And maybe it made you feel guilty because, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done this. I should have done that. Maybe there's a whole list of them. The first thing I want to say is you're forgiven. In Christ, you're forgiven of all those things. So, Receive that forgiveness from Jesus. Enjoy that forgiveness. Celebrate Christ for that forgiveness. And don't look back. Maybe you think, maybe secondly, you thought, oh man, but you know, I received some damage. You know, I got damaged by a few of those ministries. There's a lot of repercussions, ramifications that I even sense now in my life. The answer, once again, is in Christ. Only His grace, His love, forgiveness of you will heal you and strengthen you and rebuild you to become the child that God always created you to be. So seek after Christ alone and ask God to help you deal with all those things, to forgive those people, maybe to to pray for them so that you can grow and that they can actually know Jesus themselves. Maybe some of us, we, we judge the church and we made some mistakes in the past. You can be forgiven. God forgives you. He understands. So come and ask for forgiveness. Be captivated by his grace once again. And let's just make him the center. And let's just pursue him and in him alone. He has all the fullness of the deity in him. 
and he has now given that fullness to us to know him, love him, worship him with all that we have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Christ we have everything, and you've given all that to us. Lord, help our people seek after you alone. And God, no matter what attempting, attractive things come along, Lord, help us to know that we have everything already in Christ, and to seek after you and to have it all in you alone. Guard our people, Father so they will not be deceived by the evil one, but they'll be perfectly satisfied by the holy one. God, make our church and our people all about Christ alone. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.